Well, there was like a hand mark and it was like three looking claws on it. And something got me on my back through all those layers of clothes. I don't know if it was, and there was blisters. Welcome back. I'm here with Katie Page. Katie, welcome back. I'm very anxious to talk to you about your experiences on Beyond Skinwalker Ranch and what they call the Rocky Mountain Ranch, because I think your experience is a fascinating one. So welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so I'd like to focus today, or at least this episode, on your experiences on the ranch as a child. Like, when did all this start and what happened? Right. I mean, this has just been, and, and this is what I love for people to understand about my personal journey here, because for me and my older sister and my mother, these were very strange years. And for me, I'm nine to 12 years old during these years. So it kind of started in 1975 to 1978. These are the really heightened years. Now, this has been decades ago, and I'm a little girl. My sister's a teenager. And the connection I have to the ranch property, my mom worked for United Airlines as a computer operator, and she started dating a gentleman. That The gentleman she was dating owned the ranch, okay? Mm -hmm. And so they had three sons. The oldest son lived on the ranch full-time with his mom and the mom's new boyfriend at the time. And the two younger sons lived with us during the week. So we lived in a big school district, which was the Cherry Creek School District. So they wanted the boys, instead of going to the small town school out there, they wanted them to have the opportunities that a big school district affords them. And so mm. we would drive back and forth to take the boys to visit their mom or go back home. And I have pictures of all of us together at Thanksgiving. So this was a amicable situation. Everybody was friendly with one another. And as we'll get into later, but one of the scariest nights on the ranch, it was the boys' mother's birthday. We were all there celebrating. So we would go and spend some afternoons on the weekends on the ranch property. So that's how I kind of get tied into the ranch. What's fascinating about this whole thing for me is we were threatened and warned never to talk about what happened out there. So mm -hmm. as a young girl, I would hear my mom and her boyfriend, who is now deceased, I would hear them talking about like, cattle mutilation and police being called and these strange things happening. At the same time, I'm having things happen at my house, which is an hour away from the ranch, which I never connected to being part of the ranch phenomena until Skinwalkers at the Pentagon came out. We could talk about that mm -hmm. later. So I kind of disassociated all these different phenomena. But, and by that, but, you mean like the hitchhiker effect? Like the hitchhiker effect, like the shadow beans and the paranormal type of things or the balls of light, those kind of things. I just thought those were like, you know, I'm having these scary ghost people in my room. I didn't connect them at the time to the ranch. I do now because so many other people have experienced similar things. But when I was young and for my sister and I, this was like a family secret that we didn't know anybody knew anything about it. We didn't know it was ever investigated. It was just this big secret. And so 
as so many people do, you graduate high school, you go to college, you get married, have a family. And I did all those things, but I still had all these unanswered questions about what all that stuff was that happened on the ranch and at the house and all the stuff. So I kind of started out in the paranormal world of things. And I was watching a documentary one day and I heard about MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, never heard of the organization before. And I just thought, hey, I'm going to look into this, went to their website and learned how to be a field investigator. And I thought, well, I'll just start my own investigations on what happened. And it was like a year later, I picked up this book, Hunt for Mm -hmm. the Skinwalker. And at the time, the Skinwalker Ranch, it wasn't a TV show. It really wasn't that popular at the time. I just saw this, you know, it was like, oh, this is a ranch where a bunch of unexplained things happen. I'm going to buy it and see if there's any similarities to what happened to me in my childhood. And I get to the chapter, Other Hot Spots, and started mm-hmm. reading about a ranch in Colorado. And <laughs> I'll never forget yep. that night. I literally sat on my living room floor with my, like, I can't believe this has to be, this has to be it. Never knew it was investigated. Never knew anybody knew anything about it. So I called oh, my you sister. You didn't even know that, that the, no. your story was in the book. No, I, I didn't know oh, anybody wow. knew anything about it. So I'm calling my sister. I'm like, you're not going to believe this, but I'm reading about a Colorado ranch in this book. And I think it's, the ranch from our childhood. And that's where I first found out that Dr. Leo Sprinkle, PhD, was one of the original investigators along with John Durr and Peter Van Arsdale. So three PhDs on the property. Later found out too, they had Clarissa Bernhardt, who was a well-known psychic at the time on the property. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, this is the first time I'm learning that anybody knows anything at all about it. Like I didn't even know it was investigated or reported. So- in learning of Dr. Leo Sprinkle, at the time, Doug Wilson was the state director of Colorado MUFON. So I'm asking Doug, hey, I know you know Dr. Leo Sprinkle. I need his contact information. And he's old school. So I write him a letter and I get a prompt response in the mail from Dr. Sprinkle confirming because I gave him all the original names, the location, mm-hmm. everything. And he's like, yes, anonymous, smiley face, you know, persons, this is the place. This is your place. And That next weekend, I was down at Dr. Sprinkle's pulling the file from the report, from the APRO report. So, yeah, and now it's been over 10 years of research on this property. (laughs) Wow. Now, you said your parents were warned off. Who warned them off? Well, okay. So, my big mission about all of this has always been like chicken or egg. So, as I go to Dr. Sprinkle's and I pull all the original reports and all his notes, and I mean, he saved everything, which is wonderful. I very clearly saw right from the get-go that we had soldiers there from Camp Carson. We knew Mm -hmm. NORAD was aware of the ranch property. The head of the Air Force Academy was aware of the property. There were several investigators on the property. So people knew about it. And I'm like, why? So in my research, I come to find out. Hold on, let me get this so you can kind of see just an example. These are all newspaper articles from back in the day just tons Mm -hmm. because this is where Linda Moulton Howe got her start as an investigative journalist on the cattle mutilation phenomenon. So really the big thing that was happening outside of all the other strange activity was the cattle mutilation phenomenon. And this was horse and sheep and of course cow and even dog. I found an article about a dog. And so what I found out this didn't just affect only the ranch property where I spent time, but basically this whole area similar to the Uinta Basin, 
right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just isolated to the one ranch location, but this whole area of Colorado. And there's just so many different types of phenomenon that occurred out there. It's just sort of left me going down all these different rabbit holes and learning about what was going on and trying to get to the truth. I mean, that's always been my mission, like the truth of what's going on. What's the cover up about? Was it black access military projects? What are they covering up? But what's really interesting, Sean, is that that property sat vacant for over 10 years. So which 10 year period was that? Like from 65 to 75. So they bought the property in 1975. So there it just sat vacant this old ranch mm -hmm. house for a decade. And if the military was that interested in acquiring it, why didn't they just purchase the property? That's always been sort of a question I had. And then in researching the provenance of the location, like the homesteaders and who first owned that and really trying to dig about the, the provenance of the ranch location, I found out that in a weird kind of way, it sounds to me like this phenomenon's been going on a long, long time because there was a person mm -hmm. I ran across, his name's Dick Mulligan, and later in life, he became a caretaker at Winter Park Ski Resort up here in the Rocky Mountains, and they named a black ski run after him called Mulligan's Mile. And in there, there's a short thing about Dick Mulligan and how he had a reputation for bold exaggeration. Well, he was born and raised on that property. And in mm. my mind, I'm thinking maybe he wasn't exaggerating, you know, maybe he was trying to tell people the unusual things that were going on on that ranch property. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Interesting. Okay. So it wasn't owned by anyone between 1965 and 1975. Mm -hmm. And then that's when your family kind of. Yeah, my, my mom's boy, yeah, my mom's boyfriend's family, they always dreamed about owning a ranch and kind of getting away from the suburbs, you know. And interestingly enough, in some of the initial reports, here's a family that's moving in from basically the city into a small country town, and it's the middle of the 70s. So, like the older boys, they let their hair grow a little long, you know, mid-70s. Right. So they were kind of looked at as like these are outsider city people and now all this strange stuff is starting to stir up did they bring drugs to the community you know were they the reason all this strange stuff opened up but from my research that i've done like the neighbor lady had seen things orange balls of light and things flying off the property the vacant property for years before they arrived there so it wasn't like they brought the phenomenon. The phenomenon was already there. But when they first bought the property, one of the very first things that were reported was the strange humming sound. So John Schusler, who was one of the founding fathers of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, he lives here in Colorado. And when he learned of my connection to the ranch, he mm -hmm. had the original briefing document from when APRO researched the ranch. And I'm like, oh, I never wow. even <laughs> knew APRO investigated the ranch so he quickly gave me the original briefing document and the original reports from the apro investigation which for me and my sister both validated so many of my personal memories to what i experienced out there because again these are just memories you know how you have childhood memories of unbelievable things and you start like wow what was that did that really happen did it but then to see it in the report I was like, oh, oh yeah, wow. it, it happened. <laughs> there it is. So there was stuff that happened to you that you thought may have just been your imagination. And then you looked at the yeah. report and it's in the report. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, for both me and my sister, like one example, and this is just a memory her and I shared, and we just thought it was two sisters sharing this weird experience, but it was so weird that we never forgot about it. And that is one day was on a weekend. I'm sure we're at the ranch property. It's a nice sunny day in Colorado, but there's snow on the ground. That happens a lot here in Colorado in the spring. So there's this wet, heavy snow. We're flipping the Frisbee and there's this snowless circle on the ground. Nothing grew. It was like, but then to see that documented in the report was like, oh, there it is. That actually happened. Like, oh, okay. So it was a lot of confirmations like that. Same with the disembodied electrical voice that basically was the warning for us. You know, your friends will be instructed to remain silent concerning us. And my mom took that very seriously. She was very afraid of what could happen to us if we talked about what was going on out there. And some of that might have been getting warnings from the sheriff and the undersheriff, because when I flew to Florida to interview the undersheriff, Bill Wall, who is in Linda Bolton Howe's film, A Strange Harvest, he is now deceased, but I went out and interviewed his widow and his son. They talked about how they were getting direct orders from the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, NORAD, and the United States Air Force to downplay all these mutilations that were going on. Because everybody was really getting frightened, you know, so they wanted to downplay the phenomena. Interesting. The voice of the disembodied voice. Can you just talk the audience? Because I know that whole incident's in that book that you just showed. But yeah, yeah. What's your memory of that? situation what happened that night yeah yeah my memory was so there's this old little ranch house it's not a very big house on the property all the adults were in the front room so you walk in the door there's this room and they were all in there playing board games doing what adults do i don't know i'm the youngest of the five the three boys and my sister and i the four of them are older than i am i'm the youngest we're all hanging out in the boys room and what i remember is that hum sound sometimes that hum would get so loud you couldn't hear yourself talk over it. So it would be different levels of volume. And every time that hum would come up, something unusual would happen. So it's late at night, maybe 1130 midnight, maybe even a little later. I don't know. I don't remember the time. I just know it was really late. And that hum started up and everybody started going, oh my God, the hum, the hum, the hum. Well, there's that hum. And then at that moment, all the power in the house goes out. So there's no power coming from anywhere. And it was that moment out of the boys' bedroom, I see that bright, bright light no sound. So it wasn't a helicopter, but it was like a spotlight. It was super like the sun coming in the window. What color was it? It was bright, 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 white, kind of like this okay. light I have here shining. It was really white, white, bright. And then it, it was then that this embodied electrical voice, and it sounded like mechanical, like digitized. We have allowed you to remain. We've interfered with your lives very little. Do not take, cause us to take action, which you will regret. Your friends will be instructed to remain silent concerning us. That's what that said. And from that moment on, it was, Katie, you guys don't say a word to anybody about what's happening out there. And we didn't. Like We were like, this is a big secret and don't tell anybody. And I kept that with me all those years. Did you hear the voice or did oh, you? Oh, yeah. It like came okay. out of, it was like booming. Like it was like, right. And that was one of my questions. Like, could the military have done that? You know, of all of the activity, that's always been part of my investigation is how much of this was secret black access projects and how much of it was actual paranormal phenomenon or ET. And I still don't have the answer to that because logically speaking, a lot of those things could have been 
faked or put on as like a production, even like recently listening to the congressional hearings and stuff. And they talk about Mm -hmm. some of these black access projects, staging fake abductions and staging fake this. And I'm like, could that have been what was going on out there? I don't know. I mean, it could have been, it could have been both, right? It could have been, there's weird stuff going on and cattle mutilation, stuff like that. And they don't want you to talk about it. So they want to scare you. Right. Same with the strange uh, helicopters, these mysterious helicopters. And I was going to try and find this article, but these things were seen often so much. They did reports on them and not just in Colorado, but all across the Midwest. Here's an article speaking about a $10,000 reward from the Cattlemen's Association. So you have people actively looking for the mutilators, but what's interesting is these helicopters, these unmarked helicopters were like chasing people and menacing people. And we're talking like this one article in here is they menace these two young teenage girls and why are helicopters chasing people around? And when I asked Richard Doty about that, I, I kind of cornered him at a conference in Nevada. <laughs> I asked him about that. I'm like, what are the helicopters doing out there? Here it is. Helicopter menaces girls related to stock mutilations. So here we have these unmarked helicopters out there. And mm-hmm. he said, oh, they did that as a diversion to get like, look over here while we're doing this over here. Well, what were they doing? Well, here's a disturbing <laughs> question. So don't judge me on this one. <laughs> so you talked about cattle mutilations, sheep mutilations, horse mutilations. Were there any signs of human mutilations at any point in that region? Not that I'm aware of, but boy, they've hidden this stuff. Like even oh, now yeah. it's a subject people don't like to talk about it. You can find it on the dark web. I don't really go on the dark web, but I have people that tell me about it. And so I don't know about that. There was a a disturbing story that there was a missing, so-called missing reporter out there that vanished. Now, was he a victim? I want to say that that was solved and maybe they found the guy later, but who knows? I don't know if there were missing people or not. I do know for small towns, they have a higher percentage of not such positive things going on, you know, murder, suicides, murders, these kind of things for how big the population is, these areas have a high degree of that. And I wonder why. I mean, it's kind of scary. I don't know. I mean, it's easier to disappear somebody. That's, that's what. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For, for, <laughs> for people and for anything that wants to take people. Right? right. And I often wonder too, as far as the mutilations go, and I just had the privilege and the honor to go. So in 1967, one of the first really heavily reported mutilations was of uh, a horse and it, it got mis the original name is lady but the paper said snippy so Hippie. snippy the horse and they, their family just got together and invited me out to talk about the ranch stuff and anyway it was so cool because grandpa bob was there he's 94 years old and his sister owns snippy the horse but what we talked about there was we only hear about the domesticated animals, the livestock. What about elk and deer and raccoon and rabbit? I mean, are these just disappearing or, or whatever, taking these animals for whatever purpose, the organs, the blood, are they taking other animals? And we just don't notice them because we're not taking inventory on these other non-domesticated or farm animals. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly instances of that kind of stuff with coyotes and even yeah. rats, right? Oh. 
They could take so, all the rats they want. <laughs> no, I in fact, we usually need it's rats. Just like a, Don't beat me up. It's, it's just like a hole in the head or something like that. And things yeah. are just like sucked out. It's kind of weird. Gross. Anyway, I don't want to get too much yeah. into it because nobody talks about it. They're all talking about like, you know, getting to the fifth dimension and changing your chakras and things like that. Everything's all positive. And I think probably a positive side to it, but people are ignoring all the negative stuff. And, right. you know, if the government knows more than it admits, there's probably a good reason they're not, you know, well, open, and, and, opening this stuff up. Yeah. And that's a feeling I got. I mean, it's been said for decades now that there are people within our own government that are afraid to touch this topic because they think it's demonic or evil or that it's bad or negative and they don't want to get near it. So I understand that. And not all of this phenomena is love and light and roses. Pardon my pun. My name in my book is Letters of Love and Light from Dr. <laughs> Leo Sprinkle because he would sign all his letters, Love and Light. And for me, during the years of this, it was quite frightening. And when you are on the ranch property, that's the one thing I always remember feeling was this ominous, heavy, eerie, almost like a dark, scary feeling of being watched, like a heaviness on the property. It was different. It's like if you go into a building that's haunted and it just feels different. That's what it feels like on the ranch. And so when I went out to Utah for the first time and, and got to go on property at the Blind Frog Ranch, I was really curious to see what that energy would feel like. Now, I haven't had the experience of being at the Skinwalker Ranch yet. I haven't even been close to the area, but I went to Blind Frog, which isn't too far from it. I think, what, 20 minutes or something? I don't know. But the air there felt very positive. And of course, I was there during the day. I didn't spend an evening there, and it kind of shifts from day to night. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just ta talking to you earlier about this. Yeah. When I went to a property that was adjacent to Skinwalker Ranch, it, again, highly subjective. But for me, it was very positive during the day and very ominous during the night, like just the feeling, like the energy. Right. I don't know if that's how other people feel about it, but that's certainly how it felt when I was there. So I think we have worth. to trust those feelings. I mean, our intuitive side says a lot, so you can sense when something's not right. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. <laughs> so you had this reference to something told you to remain silent about us. Who is us? Well, so in the upper report, now this is a part of the phenomenon. I did not personally experience. I never, saw ETs to my recollection, to my memory, but in the APRA reports, there were reported that there were two types of ETs seen on the property. One, when I first went to Dr. Leo Sprinkles and I got the original documents, there were two sketches in there. One of the Sasquatch creature, because there were cryptids there. Well, interestingly enough, I was searching some more information on Colorado ranches. And there's a video on YouTube talking about the Colorado skinwalker. And I'm like, Oh, what is this about? It was another person coming forward. I believe they said South of Colorado Springs. So I'm thinking San Luis Valley, perhaps they don't ever really give yeah, a location. San Luis Valley, San San Luis Luis Valley, Valley. is like a huge area for that yeah, kind of stuff, all sorts of sightings. Yeah. This woman recounts her experience with this, what she calls Sasquatch creature, Actually, she calls it a Yeti. I believe she calls it Yeti. And I watched this presentation. And what was fascinating to me about it is the Sasquatch that was reported at the ranch, they like would bang on the barn and like kind of 
watch you from the barn and bang on the house. And I had never heard of this before until she started saying that that was happening at her location as well on their ranch property south of the springs. And I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. Is this a whole different kind of species of Sasquatch? But there were also these large cryptid birds that were reported. But back to the ETs. So there were two types of ETs reported on the ranch. These weird, what I call them, tubey guys now. And I didn't share that drawing with anybody because it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. So I wanted to research and see if anybody else had anything similar. And then there were reported tall blonde Nordics, the blonde blue-eyed Nordics. And it said in the report that these two entities were in conflict with one another. And basically like, we're here having a conflict, doing whatever that it is they're doing. And you guys just ignore us and we'll ignore you. Like stay out of our way, we'll stay out of your way. So I always assumed that's who the us were like. Your friends will be instructed to remain silent concerning us. But then is us the military? Is us ET? Is us, I don't know who us is. Um, not real sure. Yeah, I imagine whoever us is, it's meant to be whatever entities that you're seeing, either one or the other or both. Right. But the source of the message could just as easily be the military to scare you off, you know, get there. But wasn't there right. someone in that party who was like an electronics engineer or an electrical engineer and he was the like taking apart? Yeah, the mother's boyfriend was, yeah, he, yeah, I think it was a PhD and he's also deceased. So the three main adults, the boyfriend, the mother, and the father are all now deceased. The three sons are still alive. I'm friends with the youngest son on Facebook. All three of the boys live in different states now. I have not communicated with the two older boys, but what's really fascinating to me about it is none of them want anything to do with any of this because they're terrified still. I think they were so traumatized by what happened on the ranch. They're just like, nope, I don't want to open up that Pandora's box. And they're all super highly religious people now, and they just don't want anything to do with it. For me, though, I guess it's my curiosity and my research or investigative nature that I'm like, I want answers. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what happened. I want to know why they were there. What, 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 you know, and then to come to find out this not only affected the family. So this wasn't just like one group of people who's having a mass hallucination and making stuff up. This affected hundreds of people in the area. And I'm like, okay, this is once I found out Linda Moulton Howe was involved in all these mutilations and all these people I'm like, this is bigger than just my family or these people, it, it goes far beyond that, which made it even more compelling to me to get answers to what's going on and why. When you say the two different alien species, the, the two bees that you talk about, can you describe mm -hmm. what they look like? And have you, yeah. did you ever see them or is that just kind of what was reported in the This area? is, so this is a drawing that was in the APRA report. I can bring it up here or not in the APRA report, but in the file at Dr. Sprinkles. It was never included in the APRA report, but this is the drawing from back in the- uh, Yeah, yeah, the I front. think you sent, sent this to me. Yeah. yeah. And they had those- So it kind of looks like had, a gray, but kind of not. It's like a Geiger kind of, you familiar with the artist Geiger? Yeah. Like the guy who yeah, did alien, the alien stuff? It's By like alien, old, I mean like the movie Aliens. <laughs> like, I think it's like- I, A little I bit, first yeah. Name. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, the arms and legs are very almost insect-like, very thin and long. Then these strange tubes in it. And this doesn't depict it correctly, but if you read the report, it actually says like this was a body shield that like kind of came out, almost like it was protecting something here. And then it had these strange tubes and a helmet. So it had a helmet over it. 
and it had the wrinkles on the forehead and around the mouth, large eyes, that whole thing. But what's really fascinating about it to me is a couple of years later, I invited a gentleman by the name of Sean Bartok, who wrote a book called Flashbacks. I recommend mm-hmm. reading it about his property, which is in Castle Rock, Colorado. Turns out it's 14 miles away from the actual ranch property. So here we are 14 miles apart. We didn't know of each other, never talked to each other, didn't know about anything about anything. And this was the being they had encounters with. And he said these tubes came out. And so they had this other drawing in his presentation in his book of the tubes out. So here we have these tuby looking things. And it was my thought. I mean, these, these faces are so similar. There we go. I was stunned by that. I mean, the wrinkles, the eyes, the mouth, the shape of the head, everything. And then he said these tubes in the neck actually came out and would give it the appearance of tubes that come out, which is so fascinating to me because I'm like, hold hold on a minute, (laughs) you know? And then somebody had said, well, what about AI? Could these be like half AI, half human kind of? And then, of course, we know the Nordics. They're all very, a lot of people say the Nordics come from the Pleiades. They're very loving beings. They're here to fight for us. They're very human. They're holding on to their humanity type characteristics where we have these guys that are more like AI hybrids, like we joined forces with AI. And is this where we're headed in the future? Oh, yeah. There's a whole, are you familiar with Dr. Masters? Oh, well, yeah. A little bit, yeah. 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 yeah and, well, there's also somebody who... Frank Milburn, who used to work for British military intelligence, there are theories. He's talked to scientists who've had theories who work for some government. I don't know if U.S. or U.K., but there are theories that they're time travelers, and there's one branch of humanity that kind of went, survived a, a holocaust of some sort, either a nuclear holocaust or something, had to live underground, and that's essentially what these either guys grays are, are or what that could be right well, words this could be because i mean these guys if they're half human half ai and they have spindly features maybe they did subdivide go underground and merged with ai and maybe there's some sort of war or battle we're that's not exactly aware what of. the theory is whereas yeah. the nordics or human like are are a different timeline where they averted this but the thing is in this theory, right, the the gray or gray-like beings need it to happen in order to exist, right? Oh. That's the scary part about it. Again, it's just right. a theory. I don't know right. what these guys know or... Well, um, it could, my yeah. research is pointing to where that would be substantiated and supported by what I'm finding, you know, that perhaps if the military is aware of this battle that's going on between whatever species out there... They would be privy to that and maybe there's something around that area for whatever reason that they need to be there and so maybe they're monitoring they're taking of the cattle and the horse and the livestock maybe a, i've heard that theory too that maybe there was a deal made back in the day with maybe eisenhower or whoever like you can abduct so many people and so many cattle and livestock and maybe they have not lived up to their part of the deal and so they're trying to keep track of what it is they're doing i've I've heard that theory as well well this is even creepier again i'm just (laughs) riffing with this so don't it's going to sound more coherent than it might really be but cheyenne mountains like just right to the south which if 
there was a future cataclysm, that's where a lot of the survivors would come from. Yeah, that's true. And Which why fact, you might be hearing humming underneath the ground and, and things like that. Perhaps. Anyway, it's just, I'm just yeah. riffing. I'm just kind of coming up with this stuff on the fly. Yeah, perhaps. Some of the coolest stuff too, and some of these notes, like right here, this was shocking to me. It says Warren, and then his last name was redacted out. So Warren blank. And this is written in Dr. Leo's handwriting, which is also really neat, from Camp Carson. So here we have written proof that a gentleman from Camp Carson visits the ranch. So my first question is, why is he visiting the ranch? <laughs> like, why is he there in the first place? That's question number one. And it says that he felt something wrong. He wouldn't go into the woods. He felt something take over his mind made him walk towards the woods, would release him, and he would run back to the house and then did this to him five times. What does that sound like to you? But to me, it sounds like maybe MK Ultra Mind Control. Is that, again, is that the government's program that they're experimenting with this poor soldier? Or is it- What year was it? This was in 1975, 76. And let's see if this was dated, this, these notes. Yeah, I think, I think MK Ultra was still, because MK Ultra started- 78? In the fifth, it started in the fifties, yeah. and then yeah, and then it, it's yeah. you said it ended in seventy eight. Yeah, so this was this was church, in seventy five. Committee, right? The soldier was on the ranch property in nineteen seventy five. So was this these guys taking over his mind, or was it military? That's always been my big quest. That's I want the answers to that. And and I've always said, like watching these congressional hearings and watching everything that's been unfolding for these last few years now, I think a lot of it's great. I'm glad we're having the discussion, but I'm always hesitant and leery about what to trust and what to believe and what not to believe because there's liability issues here and there is a cover-up. And there's been a cover-up since, you know, we can argue back to Roswell in the late 40s, 47. So how much are they willing to come forward and spill the beans about some of these projects that we still know so little about? And they have liability issues because it probably affected hundreds, if not thousands of people. And if they learned the truth, then we would need like a, a protection witness or so like, okay, immunity, you know, we're going to tell you the truth, but you can't come back and sue us. <laughs> for damage is done. Uh, and by the way, this isn't the, the only thing. I mean, the CIA literally created the terms conspiracy theory, right? Yeah. I mean, there was an article in the New York Post a day or two ago saying that there were seven CIA analysts that focused on coming up with the theory behind the lab leak, right? Oh. And six of the analysts wanted to say with low confidence that that was the theory. And there's an allegation that they were bribed into agreeing with the one person who agreed. Now, it doesn't sound right to me that they were bribed. It just sounds like they were probably <laughs> heavily coerced into kind of coming to the right conclusion with. Right. Well, it makes but, you wonder. I mean, that campaign's the tinfoil hat campaign. And I mean, that's why we changed the term, right, from UFO to UAP, to, so people will take it more seriously and that, because they wanted all of us, people that experience, and whether it was Black Access military projects or it was extraterrestrial in nature, either way, let's make them out to be crazy and discredit them, because we don't want any of these things, any of these secrets or any of these scary known things to be known to the public. We want to keep it that way. And it's still going on I, I to think this that's day. I think that's part of it too. It's just if they find out we're lying about this, 
what other things are they going to push on, which we also lied about, right? right. So right. there's a lot of hair on this from their perspective. But I think trust is so low in government right now, like empirically, like if you look at a, yeah. at a recent Pew study, I, I think that's actually, I'm not making this up, but it is the case that even if they came out and they spilled the beans about everything, I don't think half the population would believe them. Right. I mean, I think it's that bad. So, and that always amazes me. Even the whistleblowers that are coming forward, and yeah, they're trying to discredit them. Of course, they are. It's like, could have expected that. But they want us to not take what they say seriously. And it's a shame because, and that was my very first thought is that they're setting this up so. Other whistleblowers will not want to come forward now because they see how other people are attacked. So you needed a couple people to test the waters, testing the waters. It's not going so well. Well, I mean, that's what Arrow is. It's a, uh, I wouldn't want to say a honeypot, but it's like a Venus flytrap. What they, because you know, you have to sign or they, until recently, they were making you sign non-disclosure agreements. Like after you told your story, you had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Oh, Why? I didn't know that. Oh, that's yeah. Like the whole point of that thing is, is to get people who know stuff to come out and they're like, oh, I got you. I got your ass. And then they they silence you and they kind of move you to the side. And anybody who talks about this stuff is removed from the conversation. So yeah, I would recommend if somebody comes out with this, I mean, just do your legal due diligence, but do not go to Arrow. Just go straight. I mean, even I don't right. even think you can go to Congress, to be honest. Right. You have Mike Turner, who gets tons of money from Lockheed Martin, which is in his state, right, in Ohio, who's trying to shut this stuff down. And he's upset now that people know about it. And it's just yeah. like, well, I mean, you're a public official. Do your job. So <laughs> anyway, I'll get my, off my high horse. No. So what did you personally see in some of these instances? So you saw that being... Do you have any memories no, of seeing it? No, oh. I, d I did not see this being. This is what was reported and what was in Dr. Sprinkles. I never saw any ET beans. Now, I've always had the ability to lucid dream, even when I was younger. I've seen some unusual things in my dreams that I question, like, is that real? Is that not? And I love that. And I love talking about it. So when I went to Dr. Sprinkles to investigate the ranch and all that, I did it for my own personal selfish reasons. But what happened was he has over 70 boxes of all his archived research for over 40 years at the Heritage Center there in Laramie. So I started pulling all these boxes and I would go for the weekend and just spend weekends in the archives. This was my escape from my teenage kids at the time. So when if you have mm -hmm. teenage, you're like, any way I can escape <laughs> what's going on at home, I'm going to run away to the archives and just dig in these boxes. And he had saved all his return letters too. So it was really cool to see Dr. Leo Sprinkle's train of thought, because you have to remember, not, he was not only talking to experiencers and contactees, but he's talking to very important people in the field, you know, Linda Howe and all these other people, and going back and forth with like Phil Class, the like debunkers of the time. And I'm like reading the correspondence back and forth, go, oh, this is good stuff, you know? But one thing that people would write often about were these dreams or memories. Like, I had this dream, but it seemed so real that I feel like I could have possibly been abducted or something like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I understand that because that's how they come in for me are like these very lucid dream like memories. So I don't recall having per se loss of time. But then again, I'm 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. 
How right. well do we remember loss of time incidents? You know, that kind of stuff. I remember the shadow beings and being afraid and never sleeping alone. One of the biggest things I think tall tale signs of being really afraid at the time during all these ranch experiences was at, in Englewood where I lived. My elementary school at the time was maybe 10 houses down the street. So I'd walk to elementary school and back from my house. And I was a latchkey kid. You know, my mom was divorced, dating this gentleman. She was at work. So, you know, a lot of us were latchkey kids back in the day. And I can remember being so frightened of being taken all the time that if a car would drive by me on my street or a motorcycle was really bad because motorcycles could chase me up into the yards, you know, get off the road in my kid's mind, I would run up and pretend I lived at any house that I was close to because I was afraid of being taken all the time. I was terrified all the time. I never slept alone. I always slept with big sister, checked the closet, checked under the bed. We moved the bed against the wall, you know, because that's one less side that the shadow being could be there. You know, if the bed's against the wall, then he can only get me from the foot of the bed and the side of the bed instead of the head of the bed and that, you know. So those kind of things, I definitely remember being terrified all the time and having these terrifying dreams, repeated nightmares all the time, those kind of things, balls of light, paranormal things, footsteps in the house, things being moved around, those kind of things. But I just thought maybe, you know, it was at the time it was teased because we had my grandmother's ashes in the house. So like my little friends, oh, it's the ashes, your house is haunted. And, you know, they would make little jokes and tease you or whatever. At the time, I didn't connect it to the ranch. But now looking back, I do think they were very much connected. Can you talk about one of those? So that you saw shadow beings in your dreams or did you actually see shadow no, beings? I would see shadow beings quite often. Even now from time to time, I still see them. Not as often just, as when I was young. They're very tall, seven feet, six and a half to seven feet, just black, dense, shadowy. They're not wearing a hat. It's not like Hat Man. It's not Dog Man. But what's really interesting, because I've had like ghost experience. My dad is no longer with me, and my brother's, my half brother is no longer with me. And my dad's third wife, Midge, we had hauntings with her. You know what I'm saying? So I've had like regular spirit human spirit, ghost hauntings. These are quite different than that. This feels ominous, heavy, as if like a looker or something's watching me or monitoring. And they always came in two or threes. I saw three once, but often it was like one here and one either at the doorway or at the foot of the bed. So they'd come in pairs, typically two shadow beings on the sides of the beds. And I would just freeze, like I would see them, freeze, freeze, freeze. And then if I was the uh, and just not move, get under the covers and don't move a muscle, you know, that kind of thing. So that's what that was like. Did you have any instances of sleep paralysis when you saw these things? Not that I recall, no. But I did have a paralysis that, that night of the disembodied voice. When we got back home to the ranch or from the ranch to our house, I walked in the front door and went paralyzed that night. And I had my first full-blown migraine headache that night. And I remember that so clearly because I couldn't talk. And my mom and my sister were going, what did you eat? They were trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me to get me medical help. And I was trying to say peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I couldn't because I could, my mouth wasn't working. And that might have lasted a few minutes. Went upstairs, started vomiting and tunnel vision, migraine headaches. And I suffered those like every three or four days until I finally went through biofeedback training to get a handle on the migraine headache. So that's when those started. 
And I don't know if they're connected to the ranch or not, because I have kids that suffer migraines as well. So it could just be a hereditary thing that we suffer migraine headaches. A lot of people suffer migraines. But I find it interesting that that night when we got back from the ranch with the bright light and that electrical voice and all that, that I did suffer paralysis. That was the only time I can remember in my life suffering paralysis. It didn't last very long, but enough where I couldn't speak. When you did Beyond Skinwalker, your episode, I know there's a ton of stuff that you guys recorded that didn't quite make it. Right. Do you know if they did an experiment looking at infrasound on the ranch? In other words, like sound that is below audible sound, less than like well, it's two, that two kilohertz? I don't know how all that radio and all that equipment stuff works that they had. I mean, and look at the thing I could say. First of all, the people who did Beyond Skinwalker were beyond gracious and just the nicest people to work with. And the one thing I was the most impressed about was they knew this was my first time back on the ranch since I was a kid. Like I hadn't stepped foot on the property since all those scary times. And they were very aware of that. And the family that lives there now and myself, we didn't meet and they did not want us to meet or communicate until cameras were rolling. So everything was legitimate and upfront. And that was true with every aspect, like the hammer radio operator, every experiment that they did, whether it's the rockets or the radios and all that, I was sort of kind of kept off. So everything was very raw and real. And I really respect that about the show because, you know, people would ask me like, Hey, did they feed you these lines to say, did they tell you to do this or tell you to do that or go none, zero. It was all, it got to the point. Cause you film for a whole week just to get that, you know, 45, 44 minutes of footage for the one episode. And you get to a point where you forget the cameras are even there, you know, kind of, you're just like, okay, you kind of get into the, I'm back here. Let's see what happens with this experiment. And yeah, I was really impressed by the crew, by everything. I was just like, whoa, this is legit. Cause before that, before doing that, I watched the shows like anybody else, so I didn't know how they were made or how they were done. And I, I was quite nervous about going back to the ranch property, as you can imagine. I didn't know if I would be in tears or scared out of my mind or how I would react. I had no idea. I just didn't know. And we'll definitely get into some of that in the next yeah. episode. But I just wanted yeah. to see if they checked that because that also makes people really unnerving. Like, there's a phenomenon in Big Sur called the dark watchers are you familiar with this mm -mm, mm -mm. people will see these like very large beings like shadow beings on the top of cliffs and stuff like that john steinbeck the author wrote about them in one of his stories i think the red pony something like that and those stories have been around for hundreds of years long before american settlers got out there but one of the theories behind what people are seeing is the crash of the waves on the Pacific Ocean emits a lot of infrasound. So I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's one thing that if you're only looking at it from a scientific perspective, that's one thing to look at. And I asked Colm Kelleher when I interviewed him about Skinwalker, if they looked at that and they didn't. Yeah, they did. So, but they did look at other things like pharmacology of like the fauna there. They looked at the gilsonite in the in oh i've the heard soil of that yeah there's that up there too yeah that's interesting a gilsonite <laughs> and, and i that's a you know, basin thing though it's not i don't think it's anywhere else 
know. I think it might be out here, actually. I think I, I'm going to write a note. I'm going to make me a note to look into that again because I want to say it was there. We'll have to test for that. Yeah, it's possible. I'm not entirely. I just know that there is Gilsonite in the Uina Basin. I don't know if you can find it anywhere else or not. I was really intrigued, too, by David Pilates' Missing Power One series with his film, The UFO Connection, when he started talking about aquifers and that under the water being underground and stuff. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if there's aquifers out where this property is. And sure enough, there's two that come together. The Dawson and the Denver aquifer kind of come together right there. One has a higher water table than the other. But I find it interesting that there's certain Native American history for sure in the area, both Ute, Cheyenne, Kiowa, Comanche, Pawnee, Kiowa, the Arapaho, and they would form different alliances with different tribes. Some tribes were pitted against other tribes. So to look at that tumultuous history of the area is, and then you tie in all the rivers and creeks and streams and aquifers and granite and crystal and all of that, you wonder these areas of high strangeness around the world and in the United States, because, you know, Colorado, Utah, there's one in Pennsylvania, uh, Trey Hudson down south. There's several of these different locations that seem to be doorways or gateways where either we're able to interact with the phenomenon easier or they're coming in and out. Something's going on. But I find it interesting that a lot of these places, I mean, all of them are extremely highly magnetic, like top of the charts, magnetically charged areas. And I I think all of that is like, if you take a stew pot and you put all these ingredients in, they all have Mm -hmm. it in common, you know? Where's the place in Pennsylvania? I haven't heard about that. Yeah, it's called, yeah, I, you know, being the administrator for the Mars Project, which is the MUFON's archive research and redacting, it's all the pre-CMS, all pre-computerized MUFON case files. They were all done on paper, all investigated on paper. And Debbie Ziegelmeyer, Chuck Zukowski's sister out of Missouri, way back started basically scanning and digitizing all of MUFON's old paper reports. Well, then what happened, MUFON was faced with, well, we can't just share these with the public because we have people's addresses and phone numbers and names and places of employment and on and on and on. So we spent three and a half years and I was the head of this, what they called the Mars team, which basically went through and we had two redactors on each. We had two sets of eyes on each piece of paper, basically in the files that went through and redacted permanently the identifying information. So basically the rule of thumb was if you can find somebody based on this information, it needs to be taken out of the report. What we wanted remained was, you know, general location, what happened, the dates, those kind of things where you can still look at it and somewhat investigate it without the personal identifying information. So that took a long time to do. Well, while I was doing that, I came across across a report called the Ohio Pile, Pennsylvania case. The, it was mm-hmm. called the UFO creature case. And just like all the other reports. So you're reading reports that are sometimes two, 300 pages long, and you've got to read them verbatim to take out all this information. Talk about getting a lot of cases put on your lap all at one time. I read a lot of cases, as did all the other team members. Anyway, that case, when I started reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, you have the cryptids, you have the Sasquatch, you have the ET beings that were described similar to the ranch in Colorado. You have police being called, mutilation. You have all the same, check, 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 Was check. this Kexburg? 
No, this is in Ohio Pile, Pennsylvania. And I haven't researched okay. it very much and nobody's really come forward other than there was a book written by Stan Gordon called UFOs and Bigfoot, I think it's called. Let me see. It's on my shelf back here. It's right there. I could go grab it. But yeah, Stan Gordon's book, I want to say it's called UFOs and Bigfoot. And uh, he talks about the Ohio, Pennsylvania creature case. So it was just another area of high strangeness that had all similar things. And, and for me, and this is what I love about the Beyond Skinwalker series so much. And when I was approached from the series, I couldn't have been more excited because in my mind, mm -hmm. Until we start looking at connecting all these dots in all these different areas, whether it's Bradshaw or these less well-known locations, we're not going to get to the bottom of the mystery. We need to start connecting these places and dots and seeing what they have in common and just go where the evidence takes us. And that's what I've always been about. So when that, that came across, I was like, oh, yeah, finally somebody's doing that. It needed to be done for a long time. I mean, at some point, you should be able to theoretically use AI, like a machine learning algorithm, to just find connections that a human being might not even see, and then just kind of pop them out in some but I'm, I'm, project like that, it probably costs a fortune right now. Well, I, I know that in the years past, I was part of a little team that was trying to get that done with, I won't mention the company's name, but a very, very, very big company that looked in and did that actually with all the JFK documents. They actually did that. And we approached them with, hey, what about taking all these databases, you know, not only MUFON, but KUFOS and NICAP and APRO and, and put them into a supercomputer and let AI search through the data. I mean, that definitely needs to be done. And I hope it gets done where you could just pick up your phone and ask those questions like, you know, a Hey Siri kind of thing, but we call it Hey Ollie in our little, Hey Ollie, how many triangles have been seen over Aurora, Colorado? You know, and it could and tell you. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if it hasn't already been done. It's yeah. just not non-public. Right. It's behind closed doors. <laughs> and, and likely classified. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So this experience for you, as, so you see these shadow beings. What other strange dreams have you had that may have been associated with the ranch? Well, I don't know if they're associated with the ranch, but I would have these repetitive nightmare dream kind of things. But something really weird that happened to me, and I'm so glad I journaled about it. And I always tell people, like, if you have any weird things happen to you, write down the date, write down the time, and write down what it was. Because you think you're going to remember, but some little details you might forget, you know, a week later or whatever. So luckily for me, I, I wrote this down because I had forgotten pieces of this, what had happened. But it was like maybe two months after I bought this book and I started back on this journey. Of, it was sort of like, if I have to make an analogy, it's like I had these memories of all these weird things on this ranch. It was put in this locked box. I put it in a dark corner of the closet. And then this book made me open it up. So it was right after I opened this box up to start looking at all these strange things that what happened was I had a Lego bucket in the bedroom. My kids, my boys were playing with Legos. It was a red Lego bucket. The Lego bucket tipped over and woke me up out of my sleep. And mm. I woke up and in the corner of my bedroom was a basketball shaped blue orb. And I'm watching this thing, watching it. The auto light on the house behind me is going on and off. Okay, so this auto light. So I'm waking up my then husband at the time. I'm like, Steve, 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 wake up. He wakes up and he sees this 
blue orb in the corner of the bedroom and his eyes are adjusting to it. And it just literally went like this. It, it like imploded on itself and just boom was gone. And of course, I'm like looking at the smoke detector light, the the light on my cable box. I'm trying to figure out what the heck this blue ball of light was, but it really felt intelligent. It felt like it was monitoring or watching or I don't know what, but it was the weirdest thing. And it sounds crazy, I know. But then I go by Skinwalkers at the Pentagon and I read about other people seeing this. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, and, and the blue orbs wait, weren't the, the, weren't blue the orbs. either. No, no. Well, some people say they are. I've heard people say that the blue orbs are healing. And I'm like, yay, for healing. And then mm. Sue are like, no, the blue orbs are bad. I'm like, no way. So I don't know what to believe. And it scares me because I've had both bad experiences and positive ones. So I don't know. What, what So Grant Cameron kind of has a, a theory about Skinwalker Ranch that he's told me is that the people who usually get attacked by these things are, are all armed, like have a pistol or a shotgun or a rifle and it tends to leave people alone that aren't armed so i don't know how you know, the, the sample size is probably not yeah i huge. wouldn't say that would be true in my case in fact i would say it was quite the opposite i was a very innocent little child although quite traumatized now i found this to be kind of an interesting piece of the puzzle just in researching experiencers and contactees and abductees or people who even have a lot of paranormal experiences. And there's some really good books out there by PhDs that talk about this trauma or disassociation, people who can disassociation, whether it be from near-death experience or trauma or even certain drugs, DMT, ayahuasca. And when you disassociate out of your body for whatever purpose you do, they tend to tap into something else. And once you do that, then the phenomenon kind of stays severed to you. You hear like a severing or a cord kind of thing. And all of a sudden you've opened the doors to start experiencing all these different things, whether that's good, bad, or otherwise, I don't know. Cause we don't know what we're dealing with. You know, you don't know what you're inviting into your being. And I'll tell you my daughter, when we were filming for beyond skinwalker, we had a day off of shooting, and this is something that isn't really known on the show. It wasn't put in the episode, but I got attacked on the shoulder by something. And I didn't, so that night of the blizzard, and we could talk about this on your other show in more detail, but I was wearing several layers of clothes. I wasn't prepared. I knew it was going to be cold, but not that cold, not like whiteout blizzard condition. So going over the barbed wire fence, I like fell forward and my, my jeans were soaking wet and I was freezing cold, you know? So I had my vest on, I had a hoodie on, I had uh, sweaters on. So there was like six layers that I was wearing. And it wasn't until the next day we had a day off and I told my daughter, I'm like, okay, I need to go to the Columbia outlet store and get some more hats and gloves and be prepared if, if it's another cold night out there. <laughs> and we were having lunch at Red Robin and my shoulder was just starting to, I'm like, man, someone's really bothering me. So we get back to where I was staying and I'm like, Jenna, is there anything on my back? Well, there was like a hand mark and it was like three looking claws on it. And something got me on my back through all those layers of clothes. I don't know if it was, and there was blisters on, I have pictures. They actually filmed it. I don't know if they'll put it, if they ever do, if they ever do anything else, I don't know if they'll ever do anything with it, but it scares me a little bit. I don't think it was a radiation burn. There were some high readings around the, the original structures of the property. Like the new places on the property where they built onto the existing house, 
all the readings were normal and fine. But if you went to any of the original structures, they were really high readings. And so I had taken them back during that episode. That's why we were back in the woods. I don't know if you recall in the episode. I've only watched it, I think, twice now. But mm -hmm. I think they showed where the footprints were in the snow. And, and mm -hmm. that was crazy. And then it disappeared. And that, yeah, that was crazy. So we were walking. They're like, take us back to where you saw the, the box. So I saw a disappearing box in the daytime back when I was young. That was another encounter I had. It was me and the youngest son and my mom's boyfriend, he was in a pickup truck. We had the dogs in the back of the truck and we were driving around the back of the ranch house property. And I, I remember stopping at an outbuilding, which was another also interesting thing that they don't really go over on the show. But when I first met with the people that own the ranch now, we had never met. They really didn't know the whole history of what had happened there. And I was nervous about sharing all this information with these people who have lived there for 30 some years. They're the people who bought it right from our family, basically. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to tell them all these kind of scary things about what happened mm -hmm. here. And I, I didn't know how I felt about that because this is their home, right? This is their home. I don't want to scare them. Anyway, so the cameras are rolling. We're sharing. I'm showing them documents and articles and telling them the history of the place and sharing the APRA report with them. And they pull out a folder of all these original pictures they took when they bought the place which for me was fantastic because the house is still in the same place. But what I didn't know is that the original house is inside the new additions. They, so they added to the left of the house, to the right mm -hmm. of the house, and to the front of the house and left the original house inside. And I didn't know that. So I was like, okay, this looks different, but the house is in the right place, you know, that kind of thing. But when I was looking at the pictures, I'm like, there's an outbuilding back here by the tree line. He goes, oh, yeah, we tore that down pretty quick after we moved in. That was the outbuilding where we had stopped the, in the pickup truck in the day where I had that box encounter. There was an outbuilding there, and they had torn it down. And so it's not there right now, but the pictures, I was like, that's it. That's the building. So we had stopped at the building. To, the dad was getting something out of that building. And again, it was that hum noise, but it sounded like electric, like bees, like a bee noise. And uh, I look back and there was a lit box and I want to, you know, it was like this, like this, and it was making this bee like noise. And all I can remember is him yelling frantically to get in the truck, get back in the truck, get back in the truck, get back. And we jump in the back of the pickup truck and he takes off and I look back and that box is gone. So when we were filming Beyond Skinwalker at night and the blizzard and the snow, they're like, take us to where you think that box was, you know? And I'm like, okay, I mean, I haven't been there since, you know, 30 some years, I'll try to remember. And we're walking back and it was coming down really hard. So we're walking and I'm in front of everybody. And all of a sudden it's like a blanket of snow. And then these tracks in the snow and they weren't deer they weren't elk they weren't rabbit they these look like bipedal big footprints and they walked for maybe 10 to 12 feet and then they disappeared and then they showed up again for a short distance and then disappeared again as if something came up from the ground walked disappeared came back up and walked and disappeared it was the weirdest thing i'd ever seen and i was thrilled that the camera picked it up I was like, oh my God, yeah, they caught that. <laughs> but what was also strange about that when we're out there doing the readings, the readings were high in the middle of the forest where readings shouldn't be high. So that was very mm -hmm. unusual.
I go, okay, what is that about? You know, it's really interesting. I don't know. All right. I think this is a great time to end the episode. <laughs> and then in the next episode, we're going to talk about when you were filming all these sorts okay. of stories and then how they correlated to some of the remote viewing that David's 70 person team did and how that may have been related to all your research and what you personally experienced on the okay. ranch. So okay. it's been an absolute pleasure and I look Thanks. forward to speaking with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Sean. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like subscribe and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Oh, my God.